Hello and welcome to another episode of Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to look at football in the context of Sporting Directors, delve that little bit deeper into this multifaceted role and its impact within football across the globe. My name is Shay Lash, I'm the CEO at Get Football Group, and I'll be your host today. And as always, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, David. David, how are you this morning? I'm well, Shaylash. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well, David. It's uh, well. Firstly, it's, it's been a few weeks, I think, since we since we last recorded an episode, and and unfortunately, um, that thing called work has has gotten in the way of these conversations. So, um, wanted to just say to the listener, thank you for your patience, and um, we do really appreciate the messages that you have sent us, asking what happened, where have you been, what's going on. Um, so, hopefully, we're gonna come back with hopefully a, a more stable schedule. Um, it may take a few weeks to get there, but um, thank you for your patience. And, um, you know, we really appreciate the feedback and we really appreciate the loyalty that you have shown to us, um, you know, in listening to these conversations that myself and David have on a, on almost a weekly basis. So, David, let's get started, right? So today, I think what, what I wanted to do is is talk a little bit about Manchester United and not not, not necessarily so much about the club, but I guess more about some of the murmurings and, and the, I guess, the noise that's been coming out, I guess, in recent weeks, probably driven a lot by the results. But generally what happens when things are not going well from a result standpoint, people start looking at structures and ownership and sporting directors. And we've never really touched on on Man United before. And I first, before we get into that, I just wanted to ask, do you, and maybe it's just the bubbles that we're in, but do you think that there has ever been more of a spotlight on this role. Like it feels like it's talked about a lot now, sporting directors at clubs, what they do, I guess a lot of the time what they're not doing. So I'm just wondering what, what are you seeing, I think, from, from the stuff that you do? Yeah, it's a great question. It um the answer is probably uh sure. <laughs> Most likely <laughs> simply because the role it's one of those roles that um it's more I always hesitate to, hesitate to use the word stable with Italian football, but it's one of the roles, roles that is very prevalent in Italian football. Um, it has been for, I would say, the better part of 20 plus years. Um, however, you know, once you start to get to the, the economies of scale uh, with the Manchester United, the Manchester Cities, the Barcelonas, um, maybe not so much the Real Madrid's. You have these operations that, um, you know, it's just like with anything else, uh, as technology, as data, as players get better, as managers get better, as tactics and uh, the uh, prevalence of tactics become more, I don't want to use big words, ubiquitous, you know, like the more widespread, you, you have to have, you have to measure it, right? So if you're going to measure it, um, you need somebody to manage it, you know. So it's just it, it, it it's this snowball. And I, so I, to answer your question, I would say yes, um, in the English sense, the English speaking yeah. sense. But um, it's been around. The role's been around for a while. Yeah, and no, I agree with you. I think I think when when it, the Premier League with the size of that, I guess uh, that league and 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 the reach it has, I think it has become more prevalent. But history does tell us, I think that. Um, like you said, the role has been there for a long time in European clubs and the structures. So then looking a bit closer at Man United, right? So, you know, in the last weeks, I think, you know, 
some big voices, you know, aka Gary Neville has come out and talked about sporting directors and uh, especially at Man United saying they don't have one when in fact they actually do have one if you look at like hierarchy and corporate structures. But I'm just wondering, what are you are you kind of agreeing or disagreeing with some of the things that are being said about that missing link? And you know, what clues are you seeing um, at Man United? Because we don't really know what happens behind the scenes, but I know you've done a lot of work looking and profiling different clubs and different directors. I'm just wondering, what clues are you seeing with that entity that is leading you to form a, a, a different kind of judgment or the same kind of judgment? Yeah, so I'll go ahead and just tell everybody that I'm just going to shoot. So uh, if you're offended by what I say or you um, want to knock my credibility, that's fine. Uh, it's just going to be my point of view. So I'll say that uh, from the outset. Um, from what I see with Manchester United, it's 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 ironic because it's the same as pretty much any other club, but then it's totally not. Um, so there's two key, there's two key concepts when we talk about Manchester United and I'm going to call it the, let's just call it the lack of results, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what you're judged on uh, in, in football, right? So the first part is, I mean, I don't know how to way to, pa- I don't know a way to package it better, but everything always boils down to leadership slash ownership. So what you do or you don't see is a yay or a nay from above, period. Absolutely end up. So whether you want to hone in on the Glazers or whatever, what have you, that's fine, you know, but like that, that is where it begins and ends. Anybody underneath that is fulfilling a role. So whether it's um, Anthony or Onana, Ten Hag, Murtaugh, it, like you, you have to understand that everybody, at least majority of humans I've ever interacted with, when they have a job, when they have a role, they fulfill that role as best as they can. So that part will set aside as far as being fundamental. The second concept is that, I mean, and I'm saying this respectfully to those who are calling, whether they're former players like Gary Neville or, or, or what have you, you do not know what happens in those conver- those conversations between ownership and Murtaugh and Ten Hag unless you are those people. So even myself, who has made it some... Uh, slightly curious obsession to go through press conferences, to go through quotes and interviews and and forensically look at transfers. I still don't know that last 30 to 40%. And we never will. We never should. We never should. It's none of our business. I don't care if you own stocks or shares in the business. Uh, At the end of the day, the the, the chairman, the the leadership, the owner, um, they are the ones who tell or, sorry, give the director, director of football, technical director, academy director, manager, they're the one who get they're the ones who give them their remit. So I understand, I can begin, I can begin to understand the animus towards, say, the Glazers or Murtaugh, or let's just be honest, the lack of results. But this is football, a football club is a team, and a team is a subsection of society, of a culture. And that all starts with what is permissible, allowed in that culture, and what is not. So when we see them struggle against Fulham or Brighton or whoever, I mean, yes, we can we can hone in on that game. We can hone in on, say, tactics. We can hone in on, on purchases. Yeah, you can do all that. And let's be honest, since Sir Alex Ferguson left, 
that's all Manchester United people have done, right? But at the end of the day, it starts with ownership. Always begins and ends with ownership. So I find it hard. It's not even that I find it hard. I will not uh, impugn those who are in roles that I do not understand or it's not been stated what their role and their primary function is. Ironically, it's similar to Chelsea. Um, that team has been, that club has been put together uh, financially in a way that is eye-watering. How, do we know what, do we know, publicly know what their stated goal is? No. And that is treacherous only in the sense that you are saying to the players, manager, backroom staff, and oh, by the way, supporters, that we expect to do well. What does do well mean? Does do well mean to be go to, to go to Europe? Does it mean to sell off a certain amount of players in the following winter and, and summer transfer windows? When you don't define objectives and when you do not define roles internally first and then publicly, this is what you get. So I would say in closing, Manchester United is the better part of, I don't know, 10, 15 years um, of not having defined leadership uh, with defined roles. And yes, you, you know, you can point to this, that, and the other player, this, that, and the other coach or manager, you can point to the Glazers. The other irony, irony with the Glazers is that their, uh, their American football franchise, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I mean, they've had their issues just like any club or team has ever had franchise wise. They've also been pretty good for the better part of 25 years. They've been consistently, um, they've gone through cycles like any other uh, sports team, uh, but they've they've won, you know. I think the last time they won was 21, 2021. So there's something that we publicly do not know. Um, and I'm not saying those like Rio Ferdinand or Gary Neville do not know. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying more so is that unless you are the final decision maker, you we or you're in conversations with that final decision maker. It is to me, it, it's it's really hard to make judgments um, that are um, not judgments to make recommendations. We don't even really know what's going on, you know, and that's that's part of football. You know, you don't want to give up competitive advantages in how you have infrastructure um, necessarily unless you are confident in what you are doing, which makes you wonder right no i agree i agree i agree and, and i think when when you look at the glazers right you, you could argue that you know what what is their role right they they own the club yeah okay they own all the shares right okay but it's their responsibility i guess to put in leadership and leadership structures to a point because they don't know that much about or they're be there's better qualified people to do i guess the football side of things right so that John Moytel, I think he's been in and around the club for 10 plus years, I think, if, if you look at his history. So it's not like he doesn't understand the culture or the fabric of, of Manchester United, I would say. But something feels amiss. And do, and do you, and we don't know what it is, so we're not going to speculate. But do you think, like, for example, Chelsea. Chelsea hire and fire willy-nilly, right? And they make changes. Do you think there's an apathy level at Manchester United where they're just not making decisions? And so maybe that's part of the issue. Uh, it's interesting because I, I think, um, I think at the player and manager level, 
everybody knows in the world, globally, we all know what it means to have Chelsea or Manchester United on your CV, right? Mm. It goes without saying, right? Uh, that being said, um, man, I'm, I'm throwing some stones here, but I'm going to call for what it is. Uh, it- no, we, we, we've been away for a few weeks, man. So there's lots of stones that are built up in our baskets, I think. So, well, so I, I, I want I want to talk about the elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room is the amount of money that these clubs generate, right? And we do want to talk about it, but we don't want to talk about it. We want to talk about it when they're state funded clubs or state funded, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, quotes or, or, or proposals to buy clubs. We want to keep state-owned clubs out, or state-owned uh, opportunities out of the conversation, but we don't want to talk about it when uh, somebody from the Western world or a private equity firm or whatever wants to buy a club or takes control of a club. Yeah, I said it right. Like we we, we want to we want to make sure that we we break it apart and we make it ethical. Stop. It's not about ethics. It's about money. So when a club, when Todd Bowley or whoever buys a club. They are making an investment. You know, the best way to get a return on your investment is to buy something at a certain amount to make it more efficient and to sell it at a higher amount. Like we we we, we get caught up in um, uh, fandom and supporter uh, supporting our clubs of our youth or of our heritage. And that part is where it's tricky. And that that part is where. Um, football, in my opinion, is not like any other sport in the world from my eye, simply because there is so much identity attached to a given football club by its supporters. So what I'm about to say isn't necessarily what I believe, but it's what I observe. OK, let me be let me be clear um, and I'll, I'll share what I believe as soon as I share what I observe, what I observe, whether it's the Glazers since what the late 90s, whether it's Todd Bowley, whether it's. Uh, well, I'll just stop there for, for simplicity. They bought an asset, a magnificent, massive asset. And they are, it's not that they're not making money, but they can make more money. That, that is the game for some owners. That is not wrong. It is not right. That is the game. That is the game that they are playing. So when you see, I mean, I don't know the number off the top of my head, how many players Chelsea sold. Um, when you see how much uh, Manchester United is restricting, you know, um, Ten Hag or whoever in purchasing, there's a reason for that. And the, I'm going to call it the man on the street who's been supporting Man United since Beckham and the boys came up, hates it. They hate it because they want their team to be competitive. They want their team to fight for trophies. When you do not own the team, you don't always understand or align. There's that word again. You don't align with where the club is going. So when you don't have alignment with what the club's identity is, but you have a leadership who has, I'm going to call it a different priority, whether it's making more um, off of their investment or selling it on. Again, that's not right or wrong. Don't get caught up in that, Uh, but but get caught up more so in, okay, how do we get alignment? Do, Do we... Does that ownership uh, group, do they need to sell the club? Do we do we need to go through, uh, um, it's always about semantics, right? We're not going through a rebuild, we're going through a reload or, or however, whatever RE word we want to throw in there, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, what is, where are we going, right? I mean, I, I talk a lot about communication and clarity and when that is not had, um, 
you 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 put yourself you put your club you put the club you put the the players the manager backroom staff all the operational staff you put the supporters in this abyss of not really knowing what is the mission past the expectation the expectation is not really different from any other club right which in my opinion is the painful part so how i see it not that it matters but i'll give my opinion my opinion is irrelevant clubs like manchester united um well any club in the pyramid in the efl was it 92 clubs 96 yep. Clubs? Yep. any club any every club has a has a supporter fan base um uh, people group that care immensely about their club. I, uh, I mean, I don't like that there's all this money coming in from the top. It is what it is. I don't think it's all that bad, but it is what it is. But when you have misaligned uh, objectives as far as commercially, but then still having, because at the end of the day, the product or product slash service is the results on the pitch. You know, and when you don't have those, uh, ironically, it's probably the one industry where a a, a poor product or service does not uh, diminish the brand. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> go, go figure. So if, if you're looking at if I'm I'll just put myself in the firing line. If I'm looking at it from a profit, a P&L like profit loss. We have plenty of time to make the right decision. We have plenty of time to get a buyer. We can be very picky about who we who we get our money from on our investment, because it, it, the, the number is not going down. It's not going down, right? It's just my stress level as an ownership or you know a private equity group is is either going up, going down, whatever. So the business side of it, the commercial side of it, is super to me. It's super clear. You're waiting for the best offer that you can get that makes the most sense for you to part ways. If that's what your goal is, again, I'm not insinuating or assuming that that's what they want to do but it seems like it right um the the painful part if you love football um i love football and one of the things i love about football and it goes back to my origin story is athletically i played a different sport but i was a late bloomer so i'm all about development i'm all about academies i'm all about um you know under nine coaches becoming becoming under 16 coaches under 16 coaches becoming you know, under 20, 21 coaches, under 21 coaches becoming video analysts for first team. Like, I'm all about that progression because you don't really get to see it much in our culture society anymore. Back in the day, 200 years ago, if you want to become a blacksmith, you had to apprentice. Football is kind of the same way. I mean, not as clean as, as an example, but if you want to get somewhere, you got to get good. You have to mm -hmm. learn how to get good. That's not really how it is um, across the board at, at volume in the majority of the professions in our world at this time. So for me, it I do not like, <laughs> I do not like, you know, half a billion dollar purchases um, in, in that sense. Again, I'm not against it. I'm just saying I don't like it in that sense because it forces speed because the more money that is in uh, invested into a club, into a situation, the more there has to be return on investment. And that return on investment is not going to be 30 years out. No way. At most, at most, I would say it's three to five years, right? So, which again, points back to like, if we're being honest, um, I mean, the Glazers have been sitting on this 
printing money printing machine for ooh, better part of 20 years. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, again, to be clear, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I'm saying is it creates this tension. Um, I shared a, I read it last night and I was like, I'm sharing this now. Uh, Chuba Akbom, who was pretty good. <laughs> I'm joking. He was pretty good for Middlesbrough last season. Uh, Sven Mislintat, who I was wrong on. Apparently, I, I mean, I was wrong. I was wrong on Mislintat. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not even painful to say. It's just super obvious that he was not up to any good. Um, but he did purchase Akpom for Ajax. And up until um, uh, Maurice Stein, who was at Ajax uh, as the manager, he was hired in the summer. Uh, he, I think he was fired. I think it's been two weeks, maybe, maybe two weeks. Um, but Akpom has been irrelevant, invisible since the summer. I mean, mm-hmm. he signed, took his pictures, and he has not done anything on the pitch noteworthy. Yeah, I think he scored three goals, two or three goals in the last, um, it, it might be 90 full minutes of, of on-pitch action. They interview him after the game. They beat Heron Vain uh, this past, uh, I think, Saturday or Sunday. And he essentially says, and I'll paraphrase so I can condense my answer, uh, he, he basically says, you know, um, I came in the summer. I haven't settled. It's a different language. It's a different country. I've been living in a hotel. Um, I don't know how many of our listeners or how many people who follow sports in general have ever lived in a hotel. I have for uh, to, to play uh, American football. It is terrible. It sounds great. But after day two, it's not. Right. So he's been living in a hotel for the better part of almost, what, three months now. And the manager at the, Stein, at the time, Stein, just he wasn't seeing results. He needed results. He's not playing Chuba. It's pretty simple. I mean, it's not I don't think there's anything overly wrong or incorrect about that. That manager is canned. They bring in John Van Tiship. The first thing he does, I'm sure that Chuba wasn't I don't know. Chuba was high on the list. But you go through the list of your players and you make sure you have a conversation with them. Okay. Okay. I've been, I mean, a different sport, but I've been through this. You change coaches, that coach, if that coach does not talk to you personally, you know he doesn't care about you, and you know you need to start making other plans ASAP. New new uh, head coach or head manager for the rest of the season talks to him and says, hey, how are you? How's your family? How are you getting on? What can I do? And Chuba says, he says it twice. He goes, first of all, we're humans. Then we're football players. Him talking to me. Like, I finally wanted to go to work again. I, like, this is somebody who has been, been, I mean, he came up in Arsenal, right? This isn't somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't know about, um, let's just call it um, levels, levels of football, uh, the weight of a name, the weight of a club. And hopefully we're seeing the beginning of him, let's just say, being more productive on the pitch. Why am I saying all that regards to the, the Glazers and, and Chelsea and, and Manchester United? Well, Manchester United more so. I'm saying that because when you have clarity and you have conversations that provoke clarity and provoke, hey, you're accountable for doing X. You're accountable for scoring goals. You're accountable for getting us, you know, to a certain win total. You're account- you're accountable for these things. And these things aren't always public, but you can tell. You asked, uh, I think, two questions ago, what can you start to see? You can start to see the the seams on clubs when things don't go right and there is not a clear answer as to why it needs to be fixed past 
Oh, uh, well, we need to get results. Well, shoot. I mean, I need to get results too, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> we all need to get results. You know, Nottingham Forest needs to get results. Uh, Ipswich Town needs to get results. You know, everybody needs to get results. So the clarity that comes out in the, uh, in the answers of questions will tell you what the problem is. It's, it's hard. It takes practice to listen to it. But again, you listen to Pochettino's responses now. In the summer, I mean, with all due respect, there was a level of hubris. You know, there was a level of this is what I this is what I've done. This is what we have. This is what's coming in. This is the expectation of the club. He's not saying that now. Why is he not saying that now? Because he can't. <laughs> he, can't he, he can't say that now because now it's obvious that the I, mean, I think we made the analogy of uh, the ingredients for him to cook. He has them, but the and this the last thing I'll say, the number one fear from my research, from what I've gleaned and put put together, the number one fear of any manager or director, but I would say more so director, is that you will not be given enough time to do what they brought you in to do, because there's so much that you don't control. You know what you're good at, and you know what pieces you know pieces as far as players or league. Or uh, turn, um, you know, timelines. You know what pieces that you've been given to work with, but there's things that you don't control. You don't control players getting arrested. You don't control players getting injured. You know, you don't control, um, you know, inter intercontinental or intercountry wars. You don't control those things, but they still happen, and it's still your responsibility. So, can you imagine whether you're getting paid 17 times your next competitor? Uh, being a manager at your job that's not in football? Can you imagine being expected to produce results and having the whole world looking in on you and you know that you do not have the pieces or more importantly, the time to do it in a way that you presented to ownership? It eats certain people alive, right? And that's what we do not talk about when we talk about Ten Hag or Moyes or old, old Gunnar Solskjaer. We talk about all these things. Oh, you know, even Ralph Ragnick, you know, we'll, we'll talk about how he lost the dressing room or this, that, and the other, or Cristiano Ronaldo. Those are pieces to the puzzle. It always goes back to, will you be given enough time to do what you were called to do? And the answer is that frightens, it scares the, the you-know-what out of 99% uh, percent of them simply because they know they will not be given that time. Jose Mourinho said that him, I think they were finished third when he was there at Manchester United. Yeah. It is the best coaching job he's ever done. Because if people knew what was going on behind the scenes, he goes, they would, they would not, they would not be as critical as they are of me. And it's it's Jose. So, you know, take that with your sea of salt. But um there, there's so much truth to that that it kind of makes you wonder, like, okay. What really is going on behind the scenes? No, it's it's, it's fascinating actually, and, and those names you just reeled off there. Um, I actually I actually was going to ask you about Ralph Ragnick, and you know we've always regarded him as I guess one of the pioneers, one of the godfathers of the whole sporting director role, and and the way he's operated in the past, and and for for Man United to bring him in, and you're right, the timing is the time he was given or the role he was given probably didn't fit, but. Do you think they missed a trick with him? 
I mean, how, how do you generate more time for yourself, David, as a sporting director in a football club? So, I, I mean, to me, it's crystal clear. It's not, it's not about the sporting director. It's about ownership. If, if ownership, if the Glazers, if Murtaugh, if whoever would have came out and said, hey, we are a storied club. We need to, re- we need to write the ship. We, in so many words, this is where your PR people are golden. In so many words, we need to restock and re- we need to do everything over again. Where has Ralph Ragnick failed? In the last 25 years, where has he failed as a club? At a club. Club Federation, where has he failed? The answer is nowhere. Okay. So um, at the end of the day, it, it's not even about missing a trick. It's about communicating. When you do not communicate, I mean, I say this and I know that I'm not like a PhD level professor. I, I'm not, um, I don't have some peer reviewed paper out there in the in the universe, in the ether, but I've seen it enough. When you do not communicate what is expected of your manager, what is expected of your team, when you do not communicate that internally first and then share the the watered down but important bits with the outside world, you have you have what they have. Where um, basically every single person who has came through that that manager chair at Manchester United, they've they've came from success and they either go to success. Nobody can tell me now. I mean, it was it was you know it was a little touch and go seemingly for a while. Nobody can tell me now that David Moyes was a bad manager, right? Like who would dare, who would dare say that, right? So when you look at that, and the players is a little bit trickier, but like when you look at when you look at the the, the first team managers that they've had, you say to yourself. Like it's, I don't even think it's, it's infrastructurally, it's, it's, it's bad. I just think when you don't communicate from the top and that, that communication is not filtered down from level to level, I mean, you, you put yourself, um, you, you put yourself in a situation where you're up against the gun, trying your hardest, um, to keep up with, uh, not just your expectation, but more so um your 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 identity and that identity will catch you every time i mean look at the managers that have been michael carrick he was he was a care uh interim caretaker manager for a moment right he's pretty good i mean i'm biased i'm biased he's a pretty good manager right so what is the issue the issue is internal and i would say that it's nothing sinister no matter how much you like the glazers or dislike the glazers i don't think there's anything sinister there but when you don't communicate football, team sports, it's not like running some e-commerce situation where you have numbers and you have a price and you have widgets. You have people, you have pride, and you have expectation. You have potential. Those like It takes communication and constant reminding of why those things are there for there to be success. Sir Alex Ferguson, I mean, we've lasted this long without me mentioning more than 15 times, which is remarkable. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson was, I mean, I don't know what you, I don't know how you would even begin to label him, but he's one of the best to ever do it. It's not so much that there's a vacuum in his leadership now. I mean, that goes without saying, but he was very clear in his communication. Very clear, very clear in the identity, 
very clear in their recruitment, very clear in, I mean, when we see Manchester United in the, um, in the preseason in the summer playing in Asia, playing in the United States, playing wherever, do you think that's to work on their playing style? No, no, it's a hundred percent commercial. It's a hundred percent revenue driving. Do like let let's not be um you know hypocritical about certain things, right? But there is a clear communication of when we need to be turned on and when we need to be turned off. Or maybe more accurately, there's a clear communication of this is the football expectation on the pitch from first team manager on down, right? And this is, and this, I mean, Manchester United is probably one of, I mean, the number is growing, but let, let, there's less than 10 clubs globally that, I would say less than five clubs go, globally that have such a massive commercial component to their operation. And Manchester United, like I said previously, their brand is not, it's not dropping in value. It's just not. It's almost like it can't. And that's not a good or a bad thing, but that's still an accountability of ownership, of leadership to make sure that you have, like I said before, you have clarity all throughout the levels. The, um, the last thing I'll say is that Manchester United Academy is still one of the best. Still, right? What is the disconnect? They're developing players, you know? So up until the first team, there's this, I call it, there's this canyon and there's no bridge. There's no bridge. You get lucky with, well, I'm not saying lucky, that's mean. Um, <laughs> the timing uh, falls right for a Rashford, you know. Uh, the timing falls right for, um, uh, what is his name, Granacho. I, I probably butchered his last name. Uh, timing falls right. But then but then what, right? There, and, and that then what, in, in my opinion, always falls back to, um do we are are we are we producing a product on the pitch or are we focusing on the product in general and that product in general is we're we're decent enough on the pitch but then also we have stocks we have shares we have shareholders we have xyz again those things aren't good or bad but if there's not clear communication with all departments all facets of the business because it is a business you have this animus. You have the yellow and green scars. Mm. I think, um, you know, when you look at a club like Man United, they've got, they've literally got everything set up, right? Like you said, right? They've got the brand, they've got the money, they've got the reach, they've got the stadium, which is massive, although maybe people are saying it's falling apart now, right? I mean, everything feels, they're, they're, they're really ready to just explode if they kind of get the right structures in place, right? But, as you mentioned, it's already printing money. The Glazers seem very happy with the way it's printing money for them. So is that only real option that that has to change? Like, I mean, like what, what else can it be unless, you, you know, they've tried so many different things, right? They brought in big name managers. They brought in all of these things and, and none of these things work. So it's not like they don't try these things, but there is fundamentally something missing and it, and, it, and it's it all unfortunately it does all point back down to the Glazers right the ownership and the way they run the club not them personally because you know Correct. we don't know them personally but it's just what they're what they're what they're trying to achieve is that is that fair and and and, did, and just to add another point to that Dave, are there any other clubs around Europe or the world that you see are a similar position like a massive juggernaut that are kind of just ambling along without really a 
knowing where they're going? I mean, I it, it would take me it would take me a while if if it's even. I don't think there's a club on Manchester United's just level. Like, just yeah, yeah. Not, that is probably the heaviest club in the world that is not. Um, it's at it's, it's at sixes and sevens, right? Like all the other clubs are just not at that level. I mean, you could hate or love Real Madrid all you want. They've been okay <laughs> for the better part of two decades. Um, not everybody's a cup of tea for obvious reasons, but that's it's it's not like they're struggling. It's not like their identity and their performance are misaligned, right? Um, I'm trying to figure out how to say this so that it's not too inflammatory, but, you know, I don't know. Here we are. Um, When you look at, to answer your question, if it's, if it's, it has to be the Glazers, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I hate to say it that way. It has to be um, because I'm always of the opinion that it's, it's funny what you don't know. And it's funny what is said, what is headline material about um, a club, a team. And then when you're on the inside and you step outside and you look at what is being said, you look at what is news and you know that it's categorically not true. It makes you wonder what is at play relationship wise, or it makes you um, weigh. It makes you weigh what is at at um, play relationship wise that is causing that to be sent out. Um, I say all that to say. Look, when we look, Newcastle, new ownership, Manchester City, newish, newish ownership. I mean, it's been about what, 15, 17 years or so. Okay. Um, there, there's other examples that haven't been ex- as, um, as uh, successful, relatively speaking, but it is more than possible in, I would say, two to three seasons to build and sustain competitive excellence. And that is the issue. The issue is there is not a focus on competitive excellence. And I do not, I do not have any problem, especially former players. My goodness. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? um, I know he passed away a week or so ago, but what it's been like for Busby, what it was like for Busby, just watching his team, watching his club in the last 20, well, since Ferguson left, painful, right? Because you, um, the, the, the Nevilles, the, the, um, the, the Ferdinands, what we don't always appreciate about those guys who, who suffered for that badge is that they did, truly did suffer. I mean, they were compensated for it. Let's not be too you know romantic about it, but they suffered. And you know what level is expected internally. So when you don't see a competitive excellence that is stuck to, you don't want to excommunicate yourself from the club. You know, I'm surprised that Neville is saying what he's saying in, in a certain sense, because. I mean, I hate to say this, but it has to be that bad. It has to be that bad. If, if former players are literally, you know, throwing rocks at the glass house at this level, it has to be that bad for that long. Um, so at the end of the day, I, if, if there's anything that you, I mean, you can see it across the board um, when these new club, or sorry, these clubs are, are taken over by new ownership. If the ownership and read into this, the other clubs, especially in the Premier League, that have been purchased recently, if ownership is focused 
on competitive excellence and sustaining it, they move differently. Um, it's funny. They don't pay as much as the other clubs who say they are, right? But they don't, they, they move differently. Say what you want to say about Newcastle and their ownership group. And it needs to be said, right? It's a different conversation. It needs to be said. However, if you look at their their recruiting strategy, you look at who and how they got their first team manager, and you look at what that is producing on the pitch, it is markedly different. Mark, I mean, actually makes me think now. Um, Ten Hog and Howe started about the same time? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So if you take those two out of it, just to, to have that cancel, and you look at what was done from above, from director down, it, I mean, without hyperbole, like it's big difference, big difference. What we're seeing, right? Very big difference. And one can say what they want to say about the resources. However, the actual application of what is necessary to be competitive, it's always been clear in one club and it's not been clear in the other. So to spell it out, Newcastle is doing it in such a way <laughs> that, that is constructive. Like I said, say what you want. You can, you can make them villains. Sure, whatever, okay? You can say what they want, or what you want about that, but they've done it in a constructive way that is sustainable. Manchester United continues to not do that. And that not do that, I say that with, with asterisk only in the sense that I don't, we don't know what they're about, you know. We don't know where they're where they're ultimately heading, you know. Um, so, I, I agree with you. Go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, I agree with you. And and to me, there's there's real alarm bells actually because um, you know, you look at a club like Newcastle and all right, the ownership structure, you know, that's a different conversation. But but what they are doing is they are trying to build competitive excellence as of right now. Right with the team that they have and some of the investment that they're making, but they're also behind the scenes putting a lot of effort into their infrastructure, academy infrastructure, all the other links in between, right, with Dan Ashworth, etc. Man United, they are striving to get competitive excellence and they're throwing like millions, hundreds of millions at this and still not able to get there. But behind the scenes, it feels like their infrastructure is also breaking. So it's almost, I don't want to say a perfect storm, but like, uh, I, I, it's, a, it's a scary thought to think that it, you know, the dam's going to burst. Something's going to happen, right? Like, can it get any worse? But then you remember that Man United, the product, that's not losing any value. So it's a real weird set of circumstances and things that are coming together. And it's quite a fascinating business problem, actually, if I'm honest. <laughs> but, oh, uh, yeah. the, the, the business the business uh, juices the business calculations i mean what other scenario would this be like this this is not possible right how is hmm. it that you have i mean excuse my uh you know directness how is it that you have such a subpar performance from your main product like their main product is wins or losses or drops right the hmm. the the member, the the streaming, the online, the jerseys, or the shirts, whatever. What those are ancillary compared to them winning on the pitch and them winning silverware. Um, th- there's not, there's not, there has not been anything of value that is um, 
uh, let's just say, uh, on the same level, commensurate to their identity. There has not been anything of value for such a long time now. But then you see, uh, when did um, when did the Glazers put out or start taking proposals? Was it end of last year or beginning of this year, something like that? I mean, yeah, I think it's about a year ago. So. And you you hear the numbers that are being thrown out, and it's it's laughable, right? Because on one hand, and this is where I make an assumption that might be wrong, and it might be inflammatory, but again, here we are. Um, when when I see those numbers, as somebody who um, obviously I don't I don't have a bid, okay, <laughs> I, can't, I can't make a bid for Manchester United, right? One has to say, and it's from it's from varied sources, right? You know, this isn't like with Derby a season or two ago, right, where um, you were trying to validate the um, let's just call it the capability of those who were um, at the table, right? This is Manchester United, and the names and the 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 euro amounts attached to it are um, heavy. But then after the first rejections. I immediately got the sense that for me, and this, again, this is inflammatory, but for me, you're turning those down because you're, it, I, I mean, um, I'm around uh, basketball a lot now, ironically, I touch all the sports seemingly, but when a player like Steph Curry or, or whoever shoots from two, three, four, five, six, seven feet behind the three point line, you call it a heat check, right? You want to see if, how good you are, how, you know, how hot is your shot? To me, this last round or current round, whatever they want to say with Radcliffe and Ineos, it's a heat check. How, like, what is our what is our market valuation? That's what they're doing because there doesn't seem to be an intent to sell, right? Uh, obviously, the the Abramovich selling uh, to to Clear Lake and, and Bowley that was a very different um, timeline, and the reality on that uh, compressed what needed to happen pretty quickly. However, I, I mean, I'm, I haven't been following football long enough to know this, but like, how how long does it take to sell a football club if you want to sell it? It shouldn't take that long, <laughs> especially if you have buyers. Look at Everton. I mean, and again, you know, again, to be careful, to be respectful, to be to be uh, honest about it. You hear certain things and you see certain things, so we don't know. It's dubious, but we don't know what 777 is really about. Dubious, okay? Yeah. Dubious. Just being honest. There's there's not a lot of good to counteract the 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 questionable that I see, that I've read. Yeah. It didn't take Moshiri that long to sell the club. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it's not and, – and you can't tell me – you can't tell me at that end of the pool, Euro-wise, that um, there's more paperwork or whatever. Because that's not it, you know? It, it really is – from forensically reverse engineering what was said, what was offered, and then the timeline, I don't think they want to sell. I don't think they want to, at least they're not right now. There's no, there's no, um, I can't say it on this podcast. There's no offer where, um, <laughs> this is turning into an X-rated podcast, Shayla. Uh, <laughs> there, there's no, there's no offer where they would be foolish to not say yes right now. They have a number in their head and the offers are nowhere near it, you know? And the last thing I'll say to me, and I'm not a Manchester United fan, 
I don't want to say I never will be. That's not what I'm saying. It's just more so like it's just not my thing. I didn't. I, I, it's not my thing. Um, that club is not my club. It's a better way of saying it. When I see the headlines of Radcliffe and uh, what's it, three hundred million dollar injection into the football infrastructure, this, that, and the other, my heart goes out to the supporters and the um, the the former players because you are openly saying that what you have right now is inadequate, yet you are not addressing that with the revenue and the power you currently have, but you are willing to take on more investment from outside. Do you need that investment? I don't, I I doubt it. Again, I'm not, I'm not account number one for the firm that does their books. I never, never desire to be, but it just, to me, it's a pub. It, see, and this is where, I mean, I keep coming back to it. This is where communication is more important than what's actually happening because you are openly communicating, um, uh, dissat, not even dissatisfaction. You're openly communicating a surrendering of not doing it the right way, but you're not allowing those who you pay, those who are taking the heat, the heat. Ten Hog, say what you want about Ten Hog. Say what you want about Rashford. Say what you want about Onana. Say what you want about any of these guys. Murtaugh, let's just you know just go straight up the ladder. Say what you want about them. Like I said at the top, they're doing the best that they can with the, the tools and resources that have been allotted to them. Yet you're having conversations with billionaires. Oh, hey, we're going to take a, an injection to right the ship. Okay. Okay. To each his own. And when you own a club, you can do whatever you so please. But this is the this is the the the, the textbook tutorial clinical version of why after almost two full years of looking at directors and looking at managers and looking at sustainability, you're gonna have your geniuses. You're gonna have you're gonna have your geniuses, and then you're gonna have your your competitive advantages that shrink, right? Because everybody catches up. You're gonna have your Dan Ashworths. You're gonna have your Monchies. You're gonna have over time your Stuart Webers. You're gonna have all these people like, or it's not all these. You're gonna have some that get it faster than the others, and they're able to hit. They're able to make it work for their club. At the end of the day, they will always be at best foils for ownership. Period. And I know it's not popular to say. I know it's hard to prove sometimes, you know, unless something negative happens. Really, let's be honest. We wouldn't be talking about the Glazers if they won one Champions League in the last 10 years. One. (laughs) We wouldn't be talking about the Glazers if they won one league in the last, well, since Ferguson left, right? We we wouldn't be talking about them, right? So the the, the negative results pulls back the curtain on what is important clarity-wise, identity-wise at clubs and the directors, whether it's technical uh, academy or sporting or director of football, whatever the structure is at that club, they can only do what they are allowed to do. Do we really think, I mean, I saw some threads online and I, or on Twitter and I was just laughing. Um, you know, do we really think that Murtaugh is just sitting at his desk with his Nintendo Switch playing Mario Kart? <laughs> no. No, he, he, there's things that he can do and there's things that he can't do. And at the end of the day, like, and it's, it's not a, a capability or intellect thing. 
He just literally can't. He's not allowed to do them, you know? And I don't think that those things will ever be Sky Sports headline material. They'll never get out that far. But when we have these memoirs, you know, 20 years later, 15 years later, and you see Murtaugh on the side. No, I'm kidding. But like the the truth will come out and we'll all be like, oh wow. So that was that was what was happening behind the scenes. And behind the scenes is more important than the headlines. Yeah, I think that's actually a good place to end it, David, actually. Um and, and it's interesting what you say about Mert Murtaugh and even others. I'm not hundred percent sure is is they're not allowed or they don't I think it could be they don't know what they're allowed to do sometimes, right? Because like you said, it hasn't been communicated to them, right? So you're kind of just sitting there going, well, I could do this and I could do that, but, you know, maybe there is no roots into ownership to actually get that clarification, right? And that happens a lot as well, right? So lots to unpack. It'll be interesting to see, but with with what they've, what's they've what been happening the last, I guess, since Ferguson left, you know, they've tried lots of things and things have propagated right back up to ownership. And they're obviously... Well, we think they're looking to sell, but who knows? Maybe they're just looking to get a value on their house with no intention to sell, <laughs> just waiting to see what happens. But time will tell. Uh, maybe more for us to unpack in a future episode, actually, and see what happens and transpires at Manchester United and, and looking at it from a sporting director's lens. But as always, David, thank you so much for your time. Thanks to the listeners out there for, for tuning into this one. Um, I'll put David's Twitter handle on on the show notes as always. As you know, he puts out some really um, interesting and fascinating information um, on his account. So please give him a follow. And also, you know, please keep a lookout on our Get Football Media outlets where we cover European football and world football. You know, with news, videos, opinions from some of the most plugged in analysts across the football landscape. I'll put a, a link in the show notes for that also. And lastly, and as always, I just want to say thank you for being with us, and we hope you have a great day. 